What does one preach when a member of your church departs this scene of time and goes to be with her Lord? What comfort do you bring to those who are left behind, who look at an empty chair and only have memories? When those loved ones think of that person and the anniversaries and the birthdays come, and they be sad and mourn? Or what if some of your people are going on now nine months, 90 days in a hospital, 44 days on a transplant list, having a sick child that many, many times has, has been near unto death? Or what do you bring to people who are caring for a parent who's not what they remember due to many different issues? Or how do you comfort a family who's had a miscarriage and lost a baby? What do you preach? Well, you preach the Word of God. And what better passage to open that in the last two months has been a tonic to my own soul as I've gone through the book of Romans. I apologize for what's in the bulletin. I was supposed to begin a series in Exodus 19 this evening, but my heart was stirred up to the things that have encouraged me. And as we do so, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're going to read together the first five verses. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. This is God's holy word. As a young man, standing over a graveside in a very wet, cold Northern Ireland on a November day, I watched my grandmother being lowered into the ground. 24 hours before, Bertha Campbell, as was her name, stood on the hearth of her fireplace and with her two fingers, as she normally did, she tapped. And when she tapped, you listened. That was the rule. And Bertha, in all of her goodness, 
said we have to be ready before a holy God. 24 hours later, she dropped dead of a massive heart attack. And three days later, as is the custom in Northern Ireland to bury the dead, the pastor, the reverend at that time, read Romans 5 as her body was being lowered into the grave. It's a day I will never forget. And each time I come face to face with someone who is going through that dark valley of death, I'm reminded to read these verses. I read them because it reminds us of hope. Not hope in anything that you see in this world or hope that you may have thinking in temporal things of this world, but hope in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we get into the meat of this text, I ask you, do you know anything of this hope this evening? Do you have a realization of the glorious hope that can be found only in one person? It's not a person here on earth. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not in your children. It's not even in a relative. That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And him, and him alone. The fifth chapter of Romans calls us to do something very, very, very strange. It calls us to rejoice. Even in the midst of sufferings. Chapter 5 calls us to rejoice in what faith in this person can do. Luther said in the whole Bible, there is hardly another chapter which can equal this triumphant text. It is like a mountain pass from which one revels in the scenery. After laboring through the inclines and the switchbacks of the four previous chapters, we can now gaze and see. Chapter 5 begins a transitional point through this book. And having set out God's way of justifying sinners and establishing on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Therefore, all that I have said before, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women who were at war with God, men and women who at times were shaking their fist at God, are now through the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ and having been justified by his substitutionary death and his resurrection, are now at peace. This new relationship is one of peace with God and access to God. This evening, do you know this peace? 
even when we watch a family member breathe their last. Even when we watch a little girl in a hospital bed waiting for a new heart. Even when we ourselves pitch our tent one day closer to glory. And death is coming for us all. This evening I ask you, do you have peace? Do you have peace that can only be found through the Lord Jesus Christ? God is a good God and a faithful God. And a God who does all things well. And so this evening, let us open up this passage under these three headings. We're going to look at the new relationship we have. The new understanding that is given. And the new outpouring that is for us. First of all, the new relationship given. In verse 1, the desperate situation of repentant sinners is transformed through justification by faith into something, into peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has paid it all. All to him I owe. Christ died upon a cross. He bled and suffered for you and me. He cried, it is finished. His body was taken off that cross dead. His body was laid in a tomb. That stone was rolled over and sealed. And then what? He rose from the dead. Triumphantly. Majestically. Like he said he would do. Up. From the grave he arose. And now. He is seated at the right hand of the father. Making intercession for you and me. Christ died for us. Those of us who are found in Christ this evening. That should make us rejoice. Paul sets it out here so clear in the first verse. Peace because of him, because we have been justified by faith. We are no longer at enmity with God. Beforehand, before we were saved, we were in defiance of who God was. We were hard hearted against the things of the Word of God. We were dead. In our trespasses and sins. But. But. 
We have been justified by Christ, by faith. Do you know anything of that this evening? Do you know the saving work of God in your life? Because if you don't, when trials and tribulations come and hard things happen, you won't have that peace. You will have what we look at sometimes in the world when they're running to and fro. This evening, found in Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness. No longer our dirty, filthy rags. We are clothed in him. A man went to his pastor one time and said, I don't feel like I'm a believer. The pastor very wisely said, Have you ever passed through your railway tunnel? And the man would say, Yes, actually, often I have. And he asked, Well, because it was dark and you didn't see the light, did you get melancholy and depressed? And the man said, No. And the pastor very rightly said, You are not justified on your feelings. You are justified because what Christ has done for you. Immature Christians sometimes can be tossed to and fro by emotional highs and lows. But Christ has finished it all. It is finished. Our salvation, praise God, does not depend on our feelings. If it did, I wouldn't be here this evening. But rather, it's based upon the finished work of the cross. That is where we have peace. It's not in fame. It's not in money. It's not in self-indulgence. These things do not bring peace. Your game consoles, the newest Switch game or PS5 game, the latest iPhone titanium, having all social media apps that you can stay up to date with your friends does not give you peace. Having all the money that the world could ever offer you, having the biggest home, the most luxurious fleet of vehicles, fill in the blank, doesn't bring you peace. Only through faith, believing, and committing to Christ can you experience what Paul speaks about. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is the Prince of Peace. This evening, are you being tossed to and fro? Then run to Him. Is the world, as it were, pressing hard upon you? then run to the Prince of Peace. Through Him, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. 
this evening. We have a very access to the throne room of heaven. It's not anything that we have done. It's not anything that we can merit in and through ourselves. No, it's through him. And it's only through him. This position in which a believer is introduced by Christ, it's not a precarious one. For it's grace in which we stand. That believer is firmly and immovably established. And when that final time comes, as we were reminded this morning, even through Bunyan's illustration, God is not merely just going to go, whoops. No. We are in the very palm of his hand. With his right hand, remember, through Isaiah, he governs and he helps us and he thwarts off all the evil things. With his left, he carries us. This is our God. This is where when our dear loved ones leave this scene of time and when we can have confidence that they are indeed believers and we rejoice. They are enjoying this very grace in this very place right now. We here left will mourn. We here left will feel that loss. When a church member dies, it brings up all those emotions of all of us who have lost loved ones. And for some, those emotions can be very painful. Because some of our loved ones did not know Christ when they left the scene of time. And yet for others, for others they are with the Lamb. That is the hope for us this evening who are found in Christ. And that is the only hope. Tonight, if you're looking for hope and peace in other places, I tell you to be wary. Just because you sit in those lovely seats that are comfortable... And just because you listen to my dulcet tones coming across, and for some it may put you to sleep, and others it may say, could you please just hurry up? Being here and sitting here and listening does not get you to heaven. It's only through being justified by faith and having peace with God that can 
And so, young man, young woman, older folks, how do you stand before God this evening? Tomorrow I turn 41. And if the Lord was to take me home before I ever seen it, it's heavy upon my heart to remind you that your only hope is in Christ this evening. You young people sit in Sunday school week after week, and you hear your faithful teachers bring forth the word. What are you doing with that word? There are some who have sat down there and gone through the program, as they've called it to me. It's not a program, it's a blessing, but that's a different story. And now you're upstairs and you listen to professors who bring forth the word. What are you doing with it? Are you listening with your fingers in your ears? Are you actually listening and asking, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Some of you have come into this building for the last number of years and you sit and you listen. You don't throw eggs or tomatoes at those who preach. You actually say at times you enjoy these things and yet you have no time for Christ. I ask you this evening, what are you doing with Christ? Will you obey Will you come to that saving faith this evening? Or yet again, will you turn and walk away? I urge you. I plead with you as a man of God, and Jeff does the same as we bring forth the gospel. Do not spurn it any longer. Do not play the lie that even I did for many years. Yes, I believe. And yet in your heart you know you don't. Remember, young person, who sees your heart. God. And you may fool mom and dad. And you may fool everyone around you. But ultimately you do not have this hope and this peace. Because you know not Christ. Tonight I urge you, run to him. Run to him while there is time. Run to him while there is breath in your lungs. Why? So that when you breathe your last, when your eyes close in death and they open, it will be in paradise and not in hell. Tonight I urge you, run to him. Secondly, the new understanding that's given in verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Paul continues with this, as it were, chain link of progress in the Christian's life into Christ-likeness. We are to exult in our tribulations. We are to rejoice in our sufferings. At times when we go through difficult and hard things, and I'll be the first to admit it, 
Rejoicing is the last thing that comes to my mind. But dear Christian, it should be. And this is where even these last couple of days I've had to repent even of my own sin in regards to when trials come, when tribulations come and even sickness of the body comes and we, as it were, go, why, Lord? Why me? Why not me? If I am found in Christ, then I have all of heaven and glory waiting for me. And the tribulations of this earth are nothing in comparison. We need to be reminded of who we are. We are the children of God if we are his. What makes a shiny apple delicious? I'm a Granny Smith fan. Maybe not a good thing. Some are not. Some detest it. But normally when I go to Rayleigh's and I look for Granny Smith apples, they do a really good job at shining them up. I don't know why they polish them in the back room or whatever, but they're oh so shiny. But is that what makes an apple delicious? No. When you bite into that apple... It's the substance and the character that's inside that makes this apple delicious. When they make applesauce and they squeeze it with that wooden pestle and they mash it and they boil it and they put it through everything and what has remained is that beautiful applesauce. It's what God does to us at times. The word suffering literally means pressure. It means to be squeezed. It means that these outward circumstances like difficulties, like death, like sorrow, like persecution, like illness, like loneliness, are those squeezing of God. But the Christians are, we should be knowing that these things would come to us. And the reason why Paul here would say to rejoice in your sufferings is because of what they produce. Think of walking through a trial. Think of walking through a difficulty in your life. And at the end of it, you see that spiritual growth. makes and it sanctifies us and it makes us more useful for the instruments of God. Those who are going through trials are being squeezed, as it were, to bring the goodness. To even at times when you walk through mourning and you walk through difficulties that when others that you know do it, that you can draw alongside and encourage. You see, the word endurance is literally remain. It's remaining or staying under that which God has given us. It's the staying under that heavy load. It's not this passive waiting or sticking our head in the sands, but it, it's describing that attitude of overcoming. 
Perseverance is not an attitude which, as it were, lies down and waits for the flood to pass. It's the attitude that, that says, God, help me. Help me in my time of need. Spurgeon rightly said that the Lord gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. Some of the people who are, who are of the most blessing towards us, we look at their lives and we wonder how on earth those who are riddled with pains, those who haven't even been able to get out of their bed in weeks and months and yet they send a text and they say, I'm praying for you. Those who have their little child waiting for a heart transplant and they're more of an encouragement to you than you feel you are to them. The Lord gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. Remember the blacksmith. Oh, how I wish we had them in our days. We used to have an old blacksmith that wasn't far from where we lived at in Macrofelt and they would have open days and we'd be able to go and see that blacksmith at work and we'd see him make massive pieces of instrument out of iron and he would pump those bellows and, and the furnace would glow red and into the fire he would thrust that metal and he would blow those bellows. And he'd pull that metal out and with sweat on his head he would begin to beat on that anvil and he would hammer and he would punch and he would begin to shape and mold. And then in the fire it would go again and the bellows would go. And again he would pull it out and he would hammer and he would bend. That is sometimes what God does to us. He puts us in those fires and he turns the heat up. And he brings us out and he shapes us. And he hammers us. And he puts us back in the fire and he puts it up again. And yet, when the, when the blacksmith is finished and he puts that metal into the water, what a wonderful thing he has made. After all the hardship, after all the turmoil, after all the sweat and tears of his bride, Here is that beautiful formed instrument. There is no way to easy spiritual maturity. Christian character comes from perseverance learned through fires of tribulations. The heat, the hammer, the hardship may seem almost too much for us. And we may wonder, Lord, I cannot take any more. And yet God says, trust me. Trust me in the midst of it. Because after we persevere, after we go through these hardships, and after we have that endurance, we have character. That hardship brings that product of quality. It's like that silver being put in the fire and all the, the dross being removed. When we go through trials, it reminds us who our God is and who we are. 
It reduces our want list drastically. It makes us men and women of approved or tested character. The story is told of a missionary who was being a candidate, who was being brought forth. And he was brought forth to the missionary board. And he was told to be there at 3 a.m. in the morning. And the man waited until 8. And the examiner arrived. And the examiner asked, spell Baker. And he spelt it. And the man asked, let's see how you know about figures. And he asked him two times two. And the man replied, four. And the examiner said, very good, the test is now over, please leave. And the young man looked weird and astounded. The next day at the board meeting, the examiner spoke very, very highly of that applicant. And he said, this young man has all of the qualifications of a ministry that I believe. He had gone through many other rigorous testings before this. And he said, let me explain. First, I tried him on self-denial. I told him to be at my house at three in the morning and he left his warm, comfortable bed and he got there. And he had no word of complaint. Secondly, I tried him on punctuality and he appeared on time. Third, I examined him on patience and I made him wait and wait, and wait, and wait. Fourth, I tested him on his temper. He didn't even question my delay. And fifthly, I tried him on his humility, and I asked him questions that only a small child could answer, and he showed no offense. Brothers and sisters, how is our self-denial this evening? How is our dying to ourselves for the good of others? How is our Christian character? If others were to put on a piece of paper what they think of us, would we be fearful? Or would we know that it would be okay? How is your patience this evening? As you walk through those trials and you walk through those difficulties, are you able to be patient and wait on God? How is your temper? Sometimes when we walk through difficult and hard things, our temper, as it were, goes through the roof. And then how is our humility? Christian character. Do we have it? Or do we not? You see, two people can meet the same situation. It can drive one to despair and it can spur the other on to triumphant action. To one, it can be the end of hope, and to the other, it can be a challenge to greatness. Yet our lesson this evening speaks of hope. Read the list. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
Where do we find this hope? Are we able to have endurance ourselves? Are we able to have a character ourselves? No. It's because of God. There is hope in God and only through God. The Old Testament saints would look forward in hope of that which is to come. And even in their darkest hours, that light of hope was seen to shine so brightly. Not because of the man that they had in front of them at the time. Not because of what God would accomplish through that man. But God himself. This hope is experienced in of what God can do and what God does do for the justified aimed at all the tribulations of this life. This life will soon be past. It will soon be over. Where will we be? Will we have that hope that is eternal life with God? Or will we hope that we have hope? You see, it's been said that hope is a bridge provided by God to carry us from where we are to where he is. That bridge is firmly anchored in the truth and dependability of God's word. If Psalm 119 has taught us nothing, it's that God is good for his promises. And that we can trust in his word. William Gurnall, that great author of the Christian and complete armor, lived in Suffolk. And every morning he would go to his window and he would look out and he would see the dawning of the day. And he would say, perhaps he will return today. Brothers and sisters, that is our and where we should be. Longing for the returning of Christ. Because there is our hope. Only through him. This beautiful and marvelous expression of the Christian faith and assurance. Living in the expectancy of God in human history. Jesus Christ. God is with us. And God is for us. Dear saint, as you sit in your home. And you look across and that seat is now empty. Remember your God is with you this day and the next. He is your God and he is the one who is with you in the midst of the suffering. He is the one giving you the endurance when it seems that the days are difficult. When it seems like it's groundhog day. Day after day after day after day. Your God is with you. He is the one who is producing in you Christ-like character. And that character gives you endurance and that it's, it gives you hope this evening. It's all through him. It's nothing in us. Even though we suffer this evening, brothers and sisters... We have hope. What can this world offer? Nothing. What can God offer? 
paradise through Christ. Because thirdly and very quickly we have that new outpouring in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Christian's hope does not disappoint. It will never prove to be illusionary as, as any hope that this world could prove to be. There is no hope in this world apart from having a savoring relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, and many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. There is your hope. There is your assurance. Did Christ come to this earth and leave to prepare a place? Yes, he did. And it says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Christ is coming. We learned that this morning in all eight Sunday school. We know that Christ is returning. And he says, when he returns, he will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. There is your hope. Nothing in this world but heaven and home. Our hope is firmly anchored in God and in God's redeeming love for his people. God loves us with an everlasting love, a love that does not waver. And this love of God, it's not rationed out by drop by drop, no. It's being poured out into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is pouring it out in streams into the hearts of those who are believers. God's love is freely, abundantly, lavishly given to us people. Think of your mind for a moment. We've all seen the movies where the person is walking through the desert and it's so hot. They have their little flask and they put it to their mouth and there's only but a drop left to quench their thirst. That is not what Paul is saying here. Switch your minds to that that we see sometimes in our own streets or even on TV at times where we know off of that fire hydrant that the top has been knocked off and there is a complete abundance of water that is coming out of the top of that hydrant and we see children playing in it, we see adults goofing around in it and we see such a state that brings joy to those that enjoy it. That is our God lavishing things upon us. He's not a measly God. He's a God that gives his love freely. He gives it abundantly. He gives it lavishly to us. God's love for us is just not an external thing or some sort of intellectual stimulation. 
The Spirit is sent to help us, to encourage us, to be that comfort to us. So that when the trial comes, when the suffering comes, we can rejoice. Why? And I'll end with this quote. Many of you will know it. Many of you will have seen it. I'm sure many of you have it on your fridge. On the front side is a little blue-eyed girl asking for prayer. And in the back side it has a quote. And a quote that has stuck with me the first time I read it. And a quote that greets me every morning at 6 a.m. as I make my coffee for before work. Spurgeon says this. I have looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing. Not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt it then. To feel the power of faith. As I have felt it then, to hang upon God's powerful arms as I hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. God is good all the time. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we ask that you would encourage our hearts from your word this evening. Lord, we pray that all of us would know that peace and that hope that can only come from you. Lord, encourage our hearts even for those who are walking through dark trials, walking through difficult days. Lord, even help them to rejoice through it. Through the hope and the peace that can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, even for others who are watching on and who are going through dark and difficult trials also, we pray that they would be encouraged by your word. Lord, for all of us this evening, remind us of that hope. That hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and upon his return that we will go to be with him. Lord, in these days, help us to have, as it were, eternity stamped on the back of our eyelids. That we would take our eyes off this world, off this scene of time, and we would look to heaven and home. But while we're here, O oh Lord, we ask that you would send forth your spirit that through that we would have hope through the saving work of Christ. Lord, again, we pray for those that know you not. We pray this evening that they would not have this peace or this hope and that they would even wrestle this very hour of wondering how to find it. Lord, may it be that they would run to you. May it be that they would cry out to you. May it be that they would seek forgiveness from their sins. And then they would have that peace.
And they would have that hope only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, encourage our hearts through this week. Draw near to us even in dark hours and difficult hours. Help us to be reminded that indeed we are your children. And at any time we can cry out, Abba, Father. And may it be that our hearts would be encouraged through you and through your word. For we ask it in and through Christ's precious name. Amen.